If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, hello and welcome to State of the Nation. We're broadcasting live on today's News Talk, TNT I'm Brian McLean, broadcasting live out of Central Texas, and I'm joined by Steve Hook, broadcasting out of the Jersey Shore. Steve, it's great to see you today. Welcome to State of the Nation. Oh, it's good to be with you again, Brian, as always, and uh, a big one. And as always, you know, it's another big news day. Lots going on, and we've got a bang-up show for you to dive into all of it. So looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, Steve, I've got more stories to cover than I know we're going to have time for, but I like to keep backups because we can cram them in. Boom, grab them. Okay, this guest, we're going to talk about this one with, sometimes we slot those in on the fly because that's how we roll over here, but we're going to ram ram through as much news as we can here on State of the Nation. Now, um, I would like to remind you, TNTradio.live is our website. Hello to you if you're over there in the live interactive chat room. Hello to you in the chats over there at YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. Thank you for joining us for this live video stream here this live broadcast with tnt uh also please follow us follow the tnt website uh and follow tnt on all the social platforms and we need you to get in there and leave comments and all that good stuff uh we really appreciate it help us break through those visibility filtering algorithms those uh onerous odious algorithms and follow myself at hesher media on x.com follow steve at right hook 1776 on x.com and email us too we'd love to get emails from you folks we got a stack of emails requesting some guests requesting some topics some ideas uh we are looking at those so we'll do our best to slot those in for you now steve i gotta start with P- the peter navarro story uh peter navarro who served in the white house under President Donald Trump was sentenced today for uh, flouting a House January 6th committee subpoena, which is interesting when you juxtapose this story with the uh, deletion of 117 files out of the uh, evidence there before the 118th took over, but we'll set that aside for a second. So what's happened (laughs) is U.S. District Judge uh, Amit Mehta uh, sentenced Navarro to four months in prison four months in prison and ordered him to pay a fine of $9,500. So this is interesting. So what happened here, if if you're not up on this story, a former advisor to the president on trade and manufacturing policies, Navarro was convicted in September of two counts of contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena for documents and deposition from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot i call it the fedneck insurrection at the u.s capitol the subpoena required navarro to appear and produce documents in february of 22 and sit for a deposition in march of 22 but navarro refused to provide the materials and testify and then as a private citizen he was indicted on june 2nd of 2022 steve this is what navarro had to say here's here's his statement after sentencing he said quote When I received that congressional subpoena, the second, I had an honest belief that the privilege had been invoked, and I was torn. Nobody in my position should be put in conflict between the legislative branch and the executive branch. Is that the lesson of the entire proceeding? Get a a letter and a lawyer? I think in a way it is, Navarro said. I'm disappointed with a process where a jury convicted me, and I was unable to provide a defense, one of the most important elements of our justice system. Pretty scary stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, 
again, you need to juxtapose this against Hillary Clinton uh, erasing 35,000 emails that were under congressional subpoena at the time, having her staff take literal sledgehammers and metal uh, grinders and even bleach bit software uh, to delete and erase any of these emails. Um, and then, of course, what did the media do when Trump jokingly referred and you'll recall this uh Hesh, when Trump jokingly referred and said, hey, Mr. Putin, if you found those emails, let me know. They went on the news and said, he's he's colluding with Putin in, in public, in real time. We saw him do it. These people are absolutely hackish in their ways of uh, doling out this two-tiered system of justice. And that's one of the things that Peter Navarro is, is, is bitching about. And I don't blame him. Uh, you know, he gets frog marched out of an airport in leg shackles with his hands behind his back. Uh, much to the delight of all the, you know, media types that were there hovering about. And yet Hillary, you know, deletes all those things. And let's not forget that the J, you mentioned six, the J6 committee deleted all kinds of bits of information before the Republicans took over. It's just an absolute sham uh, what this DOJ is doing. And I met Mahar, the, uh, the judge, by the way. Uh, would it shock you to learn that he's an Obama appointee? So they judge shop this kind of crap. They find a a, a judge that's going to, and then he says he's doing Peter Navarro a favor because prosecution was seeking a $200,000 fine and he's only going to fine him whatever, a, a bit less than that. But he's still going to give him the indignity of having to check into a state prison for four months. It's absurd. Absolutely. And you got to wonder how he's going to be treated in there because if he's treated this way, headed in, you got to wonder what's going to happen once on the inside. You know, absolutely. He, he spoke in his own defense and he said he defied that subpoena because he believed in good faith that Trump had invoked executive privilege. Privilege, And uh, we've heard that from some of the legal experts that we've spoken to here, like Lionel from Lionel Media, for example. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, Why wouldn't he believe that? Why wouldn't he believe that? And not only that, real quick, if I just might, Hesh. This also flies, you know, th this is exactly the kind of crap that's playing out when a week and a half ago we were on this very airwave talking about how Hunter Biden goes in to a Senate subcommittee hearing and basically just thumbs his nose at everybody. And then the second Marjorie Taylor Greene starts saying, well, now that you're here, let's ask you some questions. He's out and the media applauds him like, oh, this guy's really speaking truth to power. It's so blatantly obvious and absurd. Sorry. Yeah. But no, no, I, I take your point. It has turned into an absolute circus. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all the major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Gab, and Gitter. Like I said in the intro, help us get the word out, please, as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk, TNT. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, have for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Online predators run rampant on the devices your children hold in their pockets and in front of their faces probably too many hours of the day. App and device security is of paramount importance. I can tell you this as a former cybersecurity professional um, and as a colleague of our next guest. I've learned so much from her. Uh, that I didn't even know after an entire master's degree of cybersecurity. So um, I know it hurts to see, to, to those of you with free-range tech-oriented kids, that's not a fun thing to hear, but you're leaving them vulnerable if you're not keen to what apps are on their phones. 
We're joined by our colleague and friend, Lynn Shaw of Lynn's Warriors on YouTube. She's a state of the nation family member and a subject matter expert in supporting families and protecting children. Lynn, thanks for joining us. Let's start with the new journal app update on the iPhone. What is this and what new threat vectors has it potentially opened on smartphones for kids? Well, first of all, thank you for having me today because I woke up today, Steve and, and Brian, and it was on my phone. And I know a lot about apps and different things. And I got an update, my Apple iOS, which is, you know, iPhone operating system, because somebody asked me earlier, what does iOS mean? And it said a 17.2 update. Now they don't tell you exactly what the update will be. So I'm checking and it says journal. Now all the work I do, all the press releases, all the tech experts I work with, nobody really knew about this journal. This journal is just a new app just appeared miraculously started last night and this morning on iPhones with no parental uh, supervision or notification. So if you bought your child an iPhone, it's just there. Now, the problem is the analogy would be this is like a vault, a locked vault that a child, a teen can unlock with their face, facial identification. So they can put, you know, they bill it as uh, conversations and pictures and videos. Now, we know from all of our work wherever the kids are, so are the predators. So if this is locked down from parents or guardians, that is where the danger is. But then it opens that question. We have to protect kids, right? But what about the adults? We can't lock down everybody. And this is what this is where all the problems form, right? We can't you know, have all this censorship, yet we have to protect our children. So what can we do? We can warn everybody that the journal app is now there. If you bought your child an iPhone, check their phone, talk to them about it. Make sure you know, you know, what, what can happen, what can happen with them. And I would say delete the app. There's also something where you can limit it to one minute. I don't really find that as a great suggestion to, you know, one minute. A lot of things can happen in one minute. You know, give them one minute, like, you know, the Snapchat, give them a few minutes. The predation is still there. So I would say this is a very dangerous for children. We're not talking about adults now. That's a whole nother story. For children, this is like a locked vault and a lot can happen behind that closed curtain, that closed door. So everybody look for this journal app just appearing on children's devices. Yeah. Hi, Lynn. It, it is great to see you. And, you know, it's funny because I've got it right here. And uh, it, it, I, sure enough, I, I, as you were talking, I'm like, I wonder if I have this journal thing. And sure enough, there it is. Pops right up. Haven't really looked into it yet. Um, uh, let me ask you this, Lynn. Is this can can kids communicate with other kids behind a closed locked vault or is this basically just a diary for their phone? that nobody gets access to except for that child. Because, I mean, if they can get behind a locked door, like you say, and carry on clandestine conversations with children, uh, then I understand the, the red flags. But I'm just trying to understand exactly what this app does. The app is you can communicate behind the scenes. You know, it's locked down. So the child thinks they're communicating with other children, other, uh -huh. other teens. Uh -huh. And yeah, that's that where everything. We now we know, and this is a whole other program for State of the Nation, that many of these adults, these predators, they act as another child. They pretend to be another teen. They want to get in there. They want to get in with the kids. But it's behind the scenes. It's just nobody knows. I have asked about 50 people, no exaggeration today, about do you know about the journal app? Not one person. And these are people that work, including lawyers, you know, in this business, tech safety, child safety. Nobody's heard of it. 
So we have to sound the alarm and say, look for this app, talk to your children. If they're very young, I would suggest deleting it. If they're teens, you know, you got to talk age appropriate, honest and openly. The kids are very savvy, right? Like talk to them about this. It's okay to say there are predators on this. But again, anything that's locked and parents don't know about or we don't even know about, right? We're in the media, right? We don't even know about the journal app. It's just appearing. It seems a little suspicious to me. Things just appear. How come there's not a lot of media or awareness about this? And this is Apple. Yeah. Yeah, Lynn, um to uh let me let me read Apple's comment on this. First of all, here I'll, I'll take your comment on this cuz this is sort of one of those boilerplate CYA sort of things that um you know, the tech industries are really good at writing. Um to the question, is the journal app for iOS 17 safe and secure? Question. They say Apple said that these journal entries will be private thanks in part to on-device processing and end-to-end encryption, so you can be rest assured that your private journal entries remain protected. In fact, Apple wouldn't be able to access them either. And I do appreciate that Apple has uh, better encryption than Android devices and Galaxy devices. No offense if anybody's on one of those. Uh, That's what my research tells me. But that does not mean that you're just safe and you don't need to worry about it. Because, Lynn, if I understand this app correctly, what it's going to do is it sort of incorporates in with that. If you have an iPhone, maybe you've seen one of these recommended little montage videos that it'll pop up. Hey, here's something cool that the AI made for you. You know, it shows your, you know, your, uh, I don't know, highlights of the year or something like that. Or highlights with your favorite pet or dinner's out, whatever. It looks like this is taking that concept and popping out information that people can choose to share or not. And if children are being suggested these things, sure, maybe it's encrypted on the device, maybe Apple can't see it, but they can then hit copy, save, send, share, and all these things. And we know that kids have some you know, stuff on their phones that may not actually be good for sharing. Well, Brian, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, they're very, you know, these these press releases they put out, these different comments they put out, these big tech, you know, companies, especially Apple in particular. You know what? They're like, it's like they don't mean anything, to be honest with you. And you know that predators are always 10 steps ahead of everybody. And I'm going to mention again, the kids have grown up, especially if you're 30 and under, you know, they've just grown up. It's not their fault in this kind of social media, big tech bubble. It's just part of their lives. Like, you know, they eat, they sleep, they go to school, maybe. They work, they're on big tech, okay? So they think nothing of all of this stuff. And that is the point I don't get, okay? Um, Why are we, why can't we do a better job in training and talking about privacy? Now, again, I'm talking about with minors. What adults do is is, is a whole nother program. But why aren't we doing better with the minors, the 18 and under? Because we are seeing the escalation. We are seeing the increase in self-generated, what the kids are you know, producing themselves and putting online, this child sexual abuse material. There's a recent study that says over 90%, and this is coming out of the UK. It's a great study that just came out. Children themselves are producing this content and sharing it with each other. And adults, at the direction of adults, you know, helping them or access or they're used to just being online, something has to be done. And that's where the problem is. How do we keep the kids safe, but let people have freedoms? I don't have an answer. Maybe both of you do, except training, you know, talking to the kids, training the parents and guardians, just raising awareness. And also it comes down to in your home, 
that's the only way I can see to fight all of this and make a difference. Yeah. And you know what, Lynn, I would just say that one thing in a, a kind of a closing point that I would make is that kids are way more tech savvy than a lot of us adults are, quite frankly, because as you point out, they grew up with this stuff. And I remember Snapchat and Snapchat was sold. And I mean, I know still a lot of people use Snapchat, but it was kind of pitched as, hey, these are instant little photos that disappear and they're gone into the ether. You'll never see them again. So you can really do whatever you want to with Snapchat. So kids were using them to send inappropriate pictures of themselves and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And again, it could be some some old uh, Randy guy on the other end of it, catfishing as a 12-year-old boy. And all of a sudden, boom, he takes a photo of that Snapchat and it's out and about. So while they may be tech savvy, they're not necessarily security savvy. And your point is well made, Lynn. Lynn, thank you for joining us today on uh, on State of the Nation. It's always so great to see you. Lynn's Warriors on YouTube. And fought, what, what's your uh, your X handle again, Lynn? Steve, at Lynn's Warriors. I've named everything Lynn's Warriors to make it easy for the universe to follow and be educated <laughs> about all these important topics. Thank you both so much for covering this. It's very important to talk about the journal app today. Right Thank on. You, God bless you. Well, there you go, Lynn. All right. Well, there you go. There's Lynn Shaw. This is uh, Steve Hook and Brian McLean. You're watching State of the Nation. We'll be right back on TNT. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid and we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts uh, this many journalists have been lost uh killed injured in the whole of the second world war and that lasted uh, a number of years and only in the last three months are we scraping a hundred on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list which is coming fast and furious out of gaza patrick henningsen on today's news talk tnt Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism, but the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this 
basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. TNT. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation on today's News Talk. Well, Biden was out today, President Biden was out today giving live remarks in Wisconsin, once again touting Bidenomics. We thought he was going to put that one to bed. It obviously isn't polling worth a damn, and people kind of look at it as a punchline, but he's decided to take it on. And even though a lot of his advisors have said maybe we should drop Bidenomics, he's he's standing by, and he's going out there and, uh, and touting it. Uh, to the uh, voters in Wisconsin today. And then, of course, you've got the uh, UAW who recently came out and supported Biden. They've endorsed him, even though the president of the UAW is saying, look, I'm not going to lie to you. Most of our members are not going to vote for him. Okay, Mr. President, then why the hell are you putting your <laughs> your voters' money towards his campaign? Doesn't make sense. But here to break it down with us is our buddy Eric Rice. He is the Chief Growth Officer at King Operating, and he joins us here on State of the Nation now. Hello, Eric. How are you, sir? Doing great. How about you guys? Good, man. It's great to see you. So first of all, what do you make of Biden hanging on with the Bidenomics line? It seems a little bit odd, no? Well, we all have a drunk uncle. You know, and uh, that drunk uncle will tell you a, a fake story from 45 years ago until you until you rehearse it as the truth. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is the primary purpose behind all dissemination from our government right now is to tell enough lies that they become the truth and trying to manifest something that isn't real. And Bidenomics is maybe the biggest calamity since the French Revolution economically. Wow. I mean, isn't it insane that that these politicians, I mean, I'm going to talk at the whole globalist level here. So, you know, this is a pretty big uh, circus tent umbrella I'm referring to. But isn't it amazing that they say they're doing all this to help everybody when someone like you can sit down with, you know, your computer, your spreadsheet, your calculator and just very and your knowledge, you know, your your context and simply say, are they doing any of this to help us? I mean, it kind of feels like this is all part of some sort of uh controlled demolition if you will of uh the you know by the atlanticist block i don't know what do you think well i mean the the reality is being created by deception that's that's what we find ourselves in so the people's reality is predicated upon whether or not they believe the deception or don't and when you look at the economic stats i mean the gdp came out they projected two percent growth in the last quarter uh, and we got 3.3% growth. And in that explanation in the GDP this morning was, oh, and by the way, we have a, a trillion dollars in debt that we're paying right now, a trillion. Uh, a visual representation of a million dollars versus a trillion dollars is an absolute representation every American should see. It's a, uh, you know, a million dollars used to be a lot of money. A thousand million dollars is a billion dollars, which is an exceptional amount of money. A trillion dollars is a thousand billion. 
right? So if you really break that down, it's such an astronomical number. And what they keep telling us that things are for our betterment, uh, the logical people, even even the illogical people, even the brainwashed left are sitting there saying like, how can you tell me that inflation is going lower when gas is remaining about the same, but everything at the stores costs more? And why at that same time are grocery stores seeing 300% profits? It's what's happening right now is for those who are paying attention, the true intention of a central bank is to impose invisible taxation on its people. And that comes through the form of inflation. Now in fascism, you have corporations that align with governments to create rules that benefit the corporations. That's true. We always hear that they're fascist. They're, that's what fascism is. It's a collaboration between corporations and a government. We live in that. We're already there. So people are saying, I don't want to fall into, we're already there. The next level for us to fall into, if we let it, uh, is to fall into communism, where, you know, talk to anyone from China, somebody who's gotten out of China and, and say, oh, I saw this on the news yesterday. They'll start laughing at you. Uh, they will say, oh, I stopped watching the news 15 years ago because it's all just lies. Uh, we're seeing the same thing, but it's so much more evil at this point in time because it's messing with people's money. No one is talking about the banking sector. No one. And the banking sector is about to see a huge shakeup in March. You know, you have two, you have the reverse repo market ending. Uh, do you guys know what that is? I'll be happy to explain it to you in the list. Yeah, explain that. Explain that to us, Eric. So right now we have the Bank of America, Wells Fargo, these places have already come out and said, we actually have $686 billion of unrealized losses. These are losses they've never actually sold to realize the loss, but they're losing assets. They're, they're dead weight. What the re reverse repo market allows them to do is the Fed basically says, hey, we'll hold on to that, that dead and dying asset and we'll give you some cash and liquidity and you can pay us back at a premium later, which rarely happens. That is being closed down. So the reverse repo market took off in 2008 uh, and it took off during the banking crisis, the first banking crisis. The one that we're about to see in my estimation is gonna make 2008 banking crisis kind of look like kitty land, like candy land, some fairy tale journey of the good days gone by. When banks have that, and you also have an ending to the term lending program on March 11th. So these two, these two ending provisions that allow for failing banks to get liquidity are ending. So we are going to see a real shakeout where people start to really understand third-party risk in this country, which is something that uh, a Bitcoin and maybe a couple cryptocurrencies promise to solve. Uh, but third-party risk is, you know, I I put $100 with Brian and your Bank of America, and when I need to pay Steve, you know, I say, hey, Brian, can you send him the money on my behalf? That's third-party risk. What happens when that third-party fails? You know, peer-to-peer -peer networks are becoming more popular. Uh, cash is being banned for a specific reason. Uh, you're watching the, the European Central Bank came out yesterday and said that they are now requesting that all the banks that they do business with start surveilling social media so they can predict bank runs. And they said this in a public statement. You know, wow. this country sits at the precipice of something very dangerous. And it's almost like having a the economy right now is almost like having a, a, a relative with stage four cancer, end of end of days. And the doctor Damn. keeps telling them that they're OK. And then all of a sudden they die. Like, that's where we're at right now. Our doctors in the government, especially in the economic side, keep telling us we're producing more oil than we ever have before. That's a lie. Inflation's 2 3%. That's a lie. GDP is higher than expected. That's a lie. What happens when, when all those lies come to be caught, uh, which people like me are catching them every time they produce a, a document. But when the whole yeah. world grasps on, you lose confidence in a system. And that's a real dangerous scenario. Yeah. Eric, listen, um, we got to take a quick break for a headline, but when we come back, um, 
we're going to kind of touch on because what, what Biden seems to be touting right now and Democrats in particular are touting, well, just take a look at your 401k. The market's doing great. And in that regard, it is, I guess, you know, I look at my 401k and my investment accounts. I'm like, holy cow, it's, it's pretty good. But again, the, the grocery store kind of slaps me back to reality. We come back, we'll take a deeper dive into investments and all of that other stuff. We're talking to Eric Rice. You're watching State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT. Okay, everybody, listen up. Big news. Big news. For real big news. Here we go. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak faced questions regarding a video obtained by ITV News showing a civilian in Gaza being fatally shot while carrying a white flag. The Houthi group in Yemen claimed to have struck an American warship and caused two U.S.-owned commercial vessels to withdraw following a missile attack in the Gulf of Aden and Bab al-Mandeb area. Former President Donald Trump has issued a stern warning to his major donors, stating that those who continue to support his Republican primary opponent, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, will be excluded from the MAGA why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Okay, uh, we're back with Eric Rice on State of the Nation. We're talking about our economy. And apparently a couple of, Eric, it sounds to me like what you're saying is there's a couple of black swan events coming. Uh, in March, and everybody better gird their loins for it. And as I mentioned before we went to break, before we did the headline there, that what's being touted right now is, look how great Wall Street is doing. And again, as I mentioned, I'll look at my stuff, and I'm like, yeah, it's doing pretty good. But what's the what's the dirty underbelly of that story? Well, so the stock market itself, I mean, what most people don't realize is that uh, even in your Fidelity account, your retirement account, you don't actually own those securities. You're what's called a proxy owner. The OTCC owns all the shares and a company called Seed & Co is the proprietor. So in reality, there's a great book I would suggest everyone read. It's free. I make no money from promoting it by David Webb called The Great Taking, which shows over the last 30 years how they've reconstructed ownership of securities all across the board to be able to provide their promise of you'll own nothing and be happy. Um, now, in the stock market itself, most people don't realize that our government actually has a massive fund called the Plunge Protection Fund. So when the market dips, they can inject liquidity into certain securities. Uh, the other problem most people don't understand is, yes, the, the market's at all-time highs, but the stock market has never and never will be an accurate predictor of the economy. They're two totally different things. One's a casino that you, are a, you have the same odds of being successful in the long term as a normal casino, and the other one is an indicator of goods being created and sold. So when economies, lag, they lag the stock market. Like, look at the hype that came from the, the pause in federal fund rates. As soon as they paused, the Fed came out. Paul said, we might raise two or we might lower two or three times next year. But the market got excited and priced in eighth interest rate drops. And what people don't realize with the stock market, the economy and rates that are all put together, you know, I, I fully anticipate the Dow Jones breaking 40,000. I fully anticipate the S&P 500 breaking 5,500. But I also wow. fully anticipate a drop of 45% after those numbers are achieved. So while they're great for headlines, all-time high in the market, what's what's bound to happen is we're bound to see, and Black Swan, we, we live in the era of Black Swan triggering events from the, the Bank of Japan, interest rates, they're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. But what I think will happen in 2024 is you'll see a big run-up in the first half, maybe through the summer, uh, in the stock market, and then you'll see some of these triggering events take place. 
Now, just because they shut off reverse repo and the temporary, the, the term lending programs in March, it'll take time for it to filter through the market and the pain to be induced in the banking sector. But you could be looking at that all colliding at the same time with interest rate drops. Historically, in times like this, when interest rates drop, it sounds great to everyone, cheaper money, but there's no money left and there's no, no money available. It has to be printed. So when they start dropping interest rates, which I assume they will by the summer, you're going to see hyperinflation kick in. And when hyperinflation kicks in, you start seeing massive layoffs. There were nine different layoff announcements this morning from you know, media companies to technology companies to Microsoft. Layoffs are coming. That's going to cause a lag in the economy. And eventually, the stock market will meet reality. If you remember, the stock market was around 20,000 when COVID started. So we've almost doubled the stock market since COVID, which was a black swan event. It did shut down all economies around the world. That is, by definition, a black swan event. So whether it's the Bank of Japan, the expanding war in the Middle East, interest rate changes, uh, banking debacle and collapse, there's a million things that can happen right now. Again, it's the sick, terminally, terminally ill cancer patient that you love to death, that the doctor keeps telling you is fine, and one day you wake up and he's dead and you're shocked. That's literally what we're living through right now. Wow. Eric, um, two-part question. Um, first off, is, is does this... Um, does this situation harken back to any other like pre-war times that you can think of? Because we've got multiple skirmishes um, on multiple fronts, uh, one or two of which could turn into a larger regional conflict potentially. Is this um, is there a historical precedence for for the kind of financial action you're seeing right now? I mean, clearly we're way down the well and things are you know <laughs> ludicrous speed to to bring spaceballs metaphors into it, but um, so, so is there a historical precedence for this and what do you recommend people do to, to hedge and protect themselves from, uh, a black swan event? A great question. Yeah, we, we've seen similarly, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen so many convergences of crises around the world. Uh, but we're in a very similar pattern to the 1970s where we had, we had, you know, a, a massive amount of inflation some ease, some, some tightening from the Fed, the rates dropped, the economy looks, looked good, and they started lowering rates, and then we saw hyperinflation. Then we saw 18, 19% federal fund rates. The only way that we got out of that is we started drilling our own oil. Like that's, that is literally how we got out of the, the massive economic collapse in the 70s is by Alaska and Texas drilling more oil. It won't be any different this time. Uh, the 60s were the same. Our stock market charts look like what's called a bull trap. Uh, which is very similar to 1987 and 1929, times of Great Depression and economic collapse. Uh, we can see historical precedents all across the board, but now we have so many different factors. We have sociological media influence that didn't exist in the 70s. Back then, it was three channels and some radio stations. Uh, you have uh, information wars, uh, disinformation campaigns being put out by people left and right. Almost everything in this world is a psychological operation right now. So seeing through the fog, you have to be able to look at what they're telling you and look in your real life and determine what reality truly is. So when they say inflation is low and you just paid $13 for a loaf of bread, are they telling you the truth? Uh, now there are definite hedges in this environment that are, that are paramount. So you have the standard inflationary bad economic times of gold and silver, that's a great place to put money. Do not put money in paper, spot anything. If it says spot, you own nothing. You just participate in the upside. So if you're gonna buy gold and silver, get the physical gold and silver. Uh, there is a, a massive wave. There's an old saying, gold and silver only profit when there's blood in the street. Well, we just saw jihadists, who I've been telling people for three years, jihadis are coming across that border, not, not, not Mexicans looking to work in a laundromat. And 
we're going to see blood in the street eventually this year. That's just mathematically the way we're going. So gold and silver is a good place to go. Raw land, not housing, not multifamily, not commercial, raw land. Get raw land. God only made so much. Uh, oil and gas investments or energy investments are a great place to go, especially if you get tax benefits. Uh, and then I recommend Bitcoin and, and other people will have other crypto suggestions, but I, I'm going to put out a video in February explaining my pathway to understanding crypto and how I determined that that's the best. And you hedge it with a few other cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency. It's actually a digital commodity by law and regulation. So you go into the commodity sectors because those are what's most, most stable. When you can't borrow money and your 401k is maxed out and people are losing money across the board, you know, you need to have tangible assets. We have gone through about a 30-year cycle where everything was paper. And I would not buy the Bitcoin ETF. Buy it yourself. Use a company like Unchained Capital or something to help you self-custody it. That way you have control. Because in that ETF, you actually don't own Bitcoin. You own shares of an ETF while BlackRock holds the Bitcoin. Uh, those are my suggestions. They've been that way for two years. They have not changed. The only thing that I would add into that would be I would, I would have ample supplies. You know, there we're we're seeing the Red Sea cause massive surges in shipping costs all around the world. You're starting to see uh, last year what did we see 350 food plants that were destroyed from fires or explosions. Yeah. Uh, that stuff takes a year, year and a half, at least six months to a year and a half to kick in. So tangible goods in any category, metals, uh, diamonds, get out of cash. Our currency was just rated the tenth strongest by a, an opinion poll. It's not not a stat, uh, but you're seeing the the massive run up think of it this way they had to they had to to raise rates uh, multiple times to get our dollar back to even back to par against a, a basket of foreign currencies it's now at 103 so if they lower rates lower rates mean weaker dollar that's what it always means yeah. so if we well, see eric, this move in lower rates you're gonna have a real problem with cash yeah eric um boy you've been you've been a lot of fun today man <laughs> always a good time on, love coming on here <laughs> No, we always appreciate you coming on and kind of giving a, you know, firing off these warning flares. Bottom line is, uh, I'm I, what, what I'm taking away from this conversation is I better learn what the hell Bitcoin's all about. But uh, listen, we want to have you back on real soon as we continue to watch this. My big concern is when does the debt bomb hit? Because we're borrowing and spending so damn much money. We didn't even touch on that. And just our interest rate alone is going to bury us. So We'll save that good news for another visit. But Eric Rice, thank you for joining us on State of the Nation. It's great seeing you. Have a wonderful day, sir. You have a good one. God bless you guys. Thank you. All right. Take care. There he goes. That's Eric Rice again, Chief Growth Officer for King Operating. You're watching State of the Nation, and we'll be right back on today's News Talk TNT. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, Nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing. Rescuing. Honoring. Protecting. Caring. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance.
Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. To learn more, visit nature.org today. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, with wildfire risk and insurance costs weighing heavily on the minds of many Californians, Senator Brian Dolly, one of our regular guests, has introduced a bill to provide tax credits for homeowners who are taking necessary precautions to harden their homes by clearing vegetation to make their properties more fire safe. Uh, Senator Dolly joins us now to discuss. Senator, it's great to see you again. Thank you for joining us. I got to tell you, I just got back from California. I live in Texas now. I went there to help my dad move. Sorry, I had to pull another uh, citizen out of the state there. But, uh, you know, we'll save that story for another time. But I was speaking with one of his neighbors. You know, he lived in one of those uh, very fire, uh, air, fire areas, a wildfire risk area. And um, last year, one of his neighbors had to spend $28,000 to have um, the extra trees removed from his property to sort of do this sort of fire hardening. And my dad actually, uh, his insurance agency tried to remove his, um, his coverage. And I started talking to other people in the state and I found that almost everyone I talked to in Nevada County uh had that experience so this is really pressing down on the citizens of california many of them are losing insurance or being forced into a situation where they have to have two insurances one from the state and one from a corporate entity and it sounds like you're looking to fix this problem so tell us what you got going well first off uh i'm sorry to see another great californian leave a great state uh, for a place that's uh, uh better to do business and, and live quite frankly but uh SB uh, 952 is a bill that actually, uh, I, we, I did it with Senator McGuire, the same bill, uh, pretty close to the same bill, who's a Democrat, who represents uh, the, the uh, eastern part or the uh, western part of the state uh, towards the coast. But we both are in the northern part where we have a lot of trees uh, and f- high fire prone areas. Uh, but he uh, never felt followed through with the bill. So I picked it up this year. Uh, the bill basically puts $500 million as a tax credit. So if you're in a, a high uh, fire severity zone or a moderate or even low to moderate, if you spend money to, to uh, harden your home, do vegetation management, um, the state would give you a tax credit up to uh, $5,000, $2,500 for low, uh, $5,000 for uh, high, and then extremely high $10,000, uh, mainly for uh, people that are on low incomes, lower than 140,000 on a joint filer or 70,000 on a single filer. So the goal is, is to get people to be able to do the work and actually uh, make their homes, uh, harden them for fire at the same time giving a tax credit, which actually in the end promotes work to be done, number one, which we will recoup the tax uh, credit back because there'll be commerce going on. And number two, uh, people's uh, insurance bills will be able to go down uh, across the state and insurance companies will come back into the state and help uh, bring more of them because we have them leaving because it's the, the risk is too high here. Yeah. Hi, Senator. It's good to see you again. Um, 
you know, I, I this bill sounds like it, it's it's just common sense measure. Uh, it, it's a tax break, so you're helping the homeowner, and in kind, you're helping the tree trimming services and everybody that's going to come out there and clear the underbrush. But frankly, you're also helping that homeowner's neighbors because now all of a sudden you're not a magnet for a fire. Now I know on this is specifically for residential uh, housing, but one of the things that has gotten a lot of press. Uh, even if it's conservative press, is that California doesn't do much forest management because all of these these greeny groups, these environmental groups, come out there and say, well, you can't remove the the underbrush because if you remove the underbrush, what are we going to do with the spotted uh, salamander that lives near underbrush or whatever the hell it may be? Um, when is this kind of enviro wackiness going to go away? And is that part of the reticence? to sign up on a bill like this. I mean, you'd mentioned that you had a bipartisan co-sponsor and he bagged out. I wonder why did he bag out? First of all, what, what was that all about? Well, first, let me address the first question you brought up is, so I've been in the legislature 12 years. I come from a very forested area. I was talking about uh, thinning our forest and doing management. And we've done, I probably did 10 or 15 bills and got them passed with the Sierra club opposing them with the nature conservancy opposing them actually got those done. Now, remember, the state is only, our job is only for, for uh, private property in California. We do not have any control over the federal lands, which 60% of California is managed by the Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management. They're the ones that have not done any, a very good job of, of managing our forest. That's a federal issue. Uh, it's not a state issue. So we've done a lot in the area, bipartisan, by the way, with me leading. And actually, I've had 127 legislators over the 12 years I've been in the legislature out to the forest and, and show them if we thin we can actually, the fire can come through and leave the forest alive uh, if you remove the brush. And we've been doing that, but our partners at the federal level have not. And that's why we've seen fires like the Dixie fire, which was in my district, almost a million acres. Most of that was federal uh, forest that burned uh, because they're not managing it. So that's number one. Number two, you're right. Uh, when it comes to uh, tax credits, now California has a 60 between, there's an argument over how much debt we we don't or how far our budget's out of whack, 60 to $68 million, uh, billion dollars, excuse me. Uh, so this tax credit is going to have a tough time, I would assume, this year because they don't want to delay tax. It's controlled by Democrats. They want the tax money to go away. But at the end of the day, this is a really common sense bill. You're going to help the environment. You're going to help people's insurance rates go down. And you're going to help the community all by giving a small amount of a tax break to people to do an incentive actually make things safer in California. And at the end of the day, the taxpayer does pay when it comes to um, infrastructure that gets destroyed during these fires, whether it's a public sewer system, whether it's a water system, whether it's the watershed that gets destroyed, which is a water source for all of California. So that's why this bill is actually going to help increase revenues in the budget and decrease spending uh, in the budget. And that's what I am going to try to sell this as uh, when, we, when we take it to the um, committees. Yeah, well, you know, um, Senator, it feels as though the state almost owes something like this to the citizens because of what you just mentioned right there. Part of the huge problem here is that BLM and that federal land that you're talking about. Lightning strikes there. I don't know, some Antifa guy has a, a, a starts a forest fire while they're having a rally. Who cares? Um, a fire starts in, in a sector like that that has not been properly managed and is no longer doing controlled burns, no longer doing any of the things that used to be done in California. And those the wind picks up. 
and then all of a sudden you've got sparks flying towards a residential neighborhood and and the own the you know the it's just egregious that that insurance companies will say no we're not going to insure you anymore and that the state wouldn't do anything about it to protect the you know those residential um homeowners and renters from a problem that started because blm and federal land management is not doing their job anymore well number one you should know that um you know the risk is high in california but california naturally before uh, we settled here burned lightning would strike and forest fires burned for months at a time and they thinned out the forest they took out all the small brush small trees and the big trees left that's john muir when he came to california talked about how open it was there's there's documentation of how open california is and huge giant sequoias redwoods uh, ponderosa pine trees in the sierras Uh, and then we came along uh, around smoky the bear campaign we started putting out fires which is not natural and also we cut some of those forests and then we had you know the anti-cut tree uh, process and all this growth happens. So there's three things you have to have to have a fire. You have to have oxygen, you have to have ignition, and you have to have fuel. The one thing we can control is fuel. That means if we go in and thin, take the fuel out, the fire is not going to be intense, just like not putting wood on your fire. The more wood you put on your fire at home, the hotter it gets. If we take that fuel away, we have slow, slow burning fires, which is good for the environment. Uh, so we need to get our forest back in that shape. We need to get our communities back in that shape. And it was just bad policies for almost 100 years now that have caused us to be in this fire cycle where we have fire so hot and intense that it actually sterilizes the ground and nothing grows for sometimes up to 50 years. So we need to mechanically thin, open our forest up. It, it actually sequesters carbon. Growing trees sequester carbon. Dead trees emit carbon. Our watershed and our wildlife can actually get out of the way of the fires because they're slow and burning on the floor of the forest and not canopy. So there's a lot of great uh, science out there that should, says we should do this. It's just a matter of getting the legislators uh, and the green groups that just want to don't want to fix the problem, just want to you know talk about it uh, out of the way, so we can actually do the work. It, it does seem it does strike me as odd that here you have a bill that you want to introduce may not get the support you need this time around because of the situation that you just described, but eventually maybe you'll get this thing uh, driven home, and the bill basically says, hey, you know what, if you own a home. Uh, do the right thing. Do the safe thing. Uh, if if you got fallen trees laying around uh, about the around the base of your home, clear them out. Get rid of all the dead wood. Get rid of all of this kindling that's building up. And we're going to give you a tax credit. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got the Fed saying, "We're not going to do anything to clear out our forests. We're not going to do anything that will cause the fire that will that will create this house fire." And then when you do try and do something, or if anybody in the Fed, I guess your senators, your federal, you know your uh, uh, senators in California would ever say, well, we're going to address this. Then you get, then you get the Sierra club and whatnot saying, no, you can't do that. I mean, I, I, it's incongruent. You want to encourage homeowners to minimize the risk while at the same time, the feds are saying, we don't want to do anything to minimize the risk in our federal, in our, in our national forest. I, I, I make it make sense. Well, I have made it make sense here in California. I've had bipartisan legislation to do what we can do on private land. That's the only thing we control. But I will tell you, it needs that same common sense approach, bipartisan approach, because it's not just a California problem. It's a Western United States problem. Colorado, Georgia, places where we have trees are burning. It's because our policies at the federal level are controlled by the national environmental groups. At home here in California, I will say bipartisan because we educated. We took the legislators out to the forest. We show we can demonstrate 
where we thin, the forest stays alive, we sequester carbon, the wildlife's still there a year later. Uh, where we don't, we have these mega fires like you've seen. We're gonna continue to see those out th throughout the West until we attack the problem uh, nationally at the federal level. But we've done about as much as you can. This bill actually is a statewide bill will help private landowners. They gotta, they gotta invest and they get only up to $2,500 as a tax credit. So they have, they have to spend you know, 5,000 to get the job done or 10,000 and they get half of that. Uh, it's just a small amount to help incentivize them to do the right thing. And at the same time, help all the taxpayers of California when we have these huge infrastructure losses. Uh, because if we can manage that fire when it's small, uh, we can do a lot better job of uh, making it less impact on the taxpayers of California. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, that gentleman that I mentioned that spent $28,000, he was able to bill that to his insurance company. So in some cases, when you still have insurance, you might want to look into that from what I'm hearing here. And now on top of that, if this passes, uh, one might have extra options. So it's like you may or may not be able to charge your insurance. Your mileage may vary there, but it's in the insurance company's best interest, I would think, to help uh, residents out with that uh, because the alternative, you know, the risk there is, um, you know, you put it on the scale. I would imagine smart insurance people could figure this out, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe they're looking at other ways of making money, you know, i.e. just dumping your coverage completely. Um, but yeah, this this definitely will, what I would hope something like this would bring insurance rates down and incentivize people to, uh, you know, leverage their insurance as well as these state tax cuts. I mean, it sounds like a win-win. What are the next steps? What are you expecting? Is this going to be positive across the aisle or will the, the green lobbyists of California uh, stand in your way? Well, I think it's more not so much the, the green lobby. I think it's going to be more of a budget issue, um, obviously. So the, the person who uh, Senator McGuire, who co we, I co-authored the bill with him last time and he didn't finish running it through. Uh, he had the control of it is now the going to be the pro tem of the Senate. So he's going to be in charge of the Senate. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how we run this through the committees and if it happens. Uh, but as you know, California has a, a severe budget problem uh, because there's people fleeing California that pay the bill here. Uh, and that's the problem really with the budget. The you know, gross national product grew by 3% and California's going the wrong way. Not every other state's that way. It's because our policies here. Hopefully we'll change some policies and make California a great state and the golden state once again by uh, keeping businesses here. So there's a lot of challenges here, but if we're going to run this bill, we'll see what happens in the first committee and if we can get, get it to the floor and maybe to the assembly, uh, then onto the governor's desk, but we'll see. All right. Well, best of luck with this one. And thank you for everything. You know, uh, Steve and I wish that you were the governor there in California. Yeah, and I know yeah. that yes. most of you watching this program wish that you were also, you know, we spoke with Senator Brian Jones, uh, and recently, and he was talking about the um, 24 and 25 California budget. So we know you've got issues there to overcome, but this is a, this is a good one. I really hope that uh, it picks up and it passes. And we just want to thank you for everything that you do and for taking the time to join us here uh, on State of the Nation. BrianDolly.com is the website. That's Brian with an I, D-A-H-L-E.com. So you can keep up with him over there. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to your next appearance here at State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT.